Welcome to the show. Great to be with you today, Paul George. Deacon Adam Conk in studio. What's up, my man? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what this music is. It's Summer Vibes. Is that what that is? Yes. The heat is on. The heat is on in South Louisiana. Yes. For sure. Absolutely. Man, I'm a new man today. Yeah, I can tell. This yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's it really is. Uh, I just don't even know what to say. For everyone who's journeyed <laughs> with me the past two years, it's been a long road of recovery. Well, what, what has happened? Well, I got my braces off. Yes. You know? Yes, you did. The middle-aged man having braces for the last two years. A very humbling experience, you know? Like, particularly for someone who's meets a lot with people who speaks and, you know, does different things like that is, you know, just to show up with, with, you know, metal in your mouth and it just feels awkward. It's all about the long game though. Yeah. You know, and you did it. You're on the other side. It's, it's like a lint. You, you, the, you know, change happens over, over a long time. If you do a habit, like just overnight and then you quit the next day, like there's no real change that happens. You're like, Oh, that was good. Like I stopped, you know, whatever doing, you know, but like, if you don't consistently work on it, there's really no change. Right. Braces are all about the long game. Long game. So you just went through like a year and a half Lent. Almost two years. Two years Lent. Yeah. Yeah, but I have a whole new grill. Total. I mean, like, not same teeth. Like, I didn't get any new teeth. Like some, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it feels different. It looks well, congrats, different. Congrats, man. I don't have a lisp. I so what think. was the... <laughs> I know there are some things you can't do with braces, right? So did you now get to do them? Like, I don't know, certain foods you can't eat or, or whatever? Yeah, there's certain foods, and a lot of foods that you eat feel uncomfortable anyway, mm-hmm. eating, you know? I'm so, sure, like, boxing wouldn't be good with braces, <laughs> so maybe I'll pick up boxing. So you're going to gain, like, 15 pounds? Maybe. All, all the food you couldn't eat for two years? <laughs> maybe so. Maybe that. I did, like, the first thing I wanted to eat, honestly, when I got my braces off yesterday, was a hamburger. I haven't eaten a hamburger for two years. Wow. Because just biting into something like and just it just is really uncomfortable mm-hmm. in a sense of like all of it just gets stuck in your braces and and like I'm an apple, no no apples mm. like cut apples yeah. but I don't know I'm kind of really particular like I'm mm. you know so mm-hmm. I, I don't know I'm, I know I'm kind of odd anyway <laughs> I got a whole new teeth congratulations um, so well thanks everyone listening to the show great to be with you today uh, you can find the show on. Actually, updated my my website paulgeorge.la. It's a lot easier to get to. Nice. Yeah, and we have discover the art of living as well. Yeah. But um, and what does the LA stand for? Louisiana. Yeah, I just want to. It's say just that. easy to. It's easy to find. Paulgeorge.la. Paulgeorge.com was not available like seven years ago. Forgive my ignorance on sports. Yeah, because it really is bad. But. It's what what I, team does Paul George play for these days? It's what I love about you. Last I heard, it was the Clippers, the L.A. Clippers. Okay, so now it's even more confusing because he's playing in L.A. Mm-hmm. And you got PaulGeorge.LA. It was my only way to beat him. <laughs> it was my only way to get ahead of him, although I'm way older than him. I was around before him. Right. You're the original Paul George. I'm the OG, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But that's hilarious. So PaulGeorge.LA. Yep. <laughs> yeah that's great visit it yeah so uh thanks for being a part of the show you can find it on the podcast or on the radio so all right man do you have a have you see what did you say that is so interesting oh for real though you ever just really appreciate people that have maybe like a high title 
but do really low work. Like they're willing to do grunt work. Mm-hmm. You ever see that and kind of appreciate like that? a like a servant leader? Yeah, like they're the president CEO and the, and then they they like clean the toilets, right? Something like that, or. Is their actual job cleaning the toilets, but they have this great title that makes them seem better? Which one? Well, this one's kind of both, actually. Okay. This is this is a, an icon of that idea because a king of a West African tribe. All right. Okay. Became king recently at a young age because his uncle, who was king, died unexpectedly at the age of sixty-seven. So he was heir to the throne. Heir to the throne. So he's now king. Now you and I will never be king. Right. How old is he? Does it say? Um, Do they even know his age? His age is... Okay, so... I don't see it, but he's young. I mean, like, mid-20s? Okay. He's a young man, a young adult. You know, here in America, you know, young adults, some of them don't even know how to wash their clothes. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's a millennial. Let's put it that way. I don't even think African tribes know what millennials are. <laughs> right. Well, and nor do they look, care. And looking at the pictures, this is that kind of tribe. So this is like this is not the tribe that lives in this, you know, like Nigeria where um, in the it's desert, highly right. developed and stuff like that. This is this is a desert dwelling. Like, okay, this is in the like middle of nowhere. Primitive looking tribe of okay. about six thousand people. Okay, so he is king, but he's king of six thousand people. Nice. But, but he's mean, king. That's like a small town, like being mayor, but you know, right. you're king. Well, he. In, in taking the throne, he realized that there was a great uh, economic crisis. Okay. Okay, but he's now in charge. So what he decided to do, which is, I think is amazing, he moved uh, to Canada for three years. The king? To work as a landscaper and gardener to raise money for his village. Really? Yes. Wow. So this is why it's kind of both of what you described, because he took a job where mm-hmm. his job is landscaping um, and working as a gardener, but his money is going towards his village to and his tribe. plan to to bring everyone out of poverty and economic mm-hmm. crisis. Um, and so, yeah, now he had he had this job prior, before he was king, okay. so he, he had connections and he knew how to do it. Um, but his plan is to go work in Canada, which he's doing for three years, and then in that process, save his village. There's a lot of virtue in that. Yeah, you I, know, I think it's crazy to have foresight. One, but then the discipline and and the you know the the grit to work and support your village, not just your family, but like mm-hmm. your whole village, like in a sense of like, hey, let's move forward in this. That's that's pretty good. Well, his boss. Okay, so remember, he's he worked for this company in Canada before. So his boss, named Susan Watson, mm-hmm. was just so moved by him coming back, mm-hmm. you know, that she actually started a foundation as the business owner called To the Moon and Back, where she's gonna while he's working, she's also gonna work to raise money in a nonprofit vehicle for their village uh, for the village. Wow. And so. Um, yeah, talking about it because they interviewed him. I mean, this is crazy, and you, you see pictures of him uh, working, you know, in the in the gardens. And uh, why are you doing this? You're a king, and he said, "Well, this is humbleness. You understand. Anytime I'm in Canada, I'm proud to work for my boss." Hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. You know, years ago, I had the opportunity to travel with Catholic Relief Services, CRS, as a lot of people know it. They do like, you know, you would know them as like. The, the organization that does the rice bowls in the schools, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. uh, they are the basically like the main social justice arm of the United States Catholic bishops, right? Like, so they're, they, they're integrated in, 
in really the social justice arena, serving the poor, but worldwide, like not just in the United States. So they have they have staff in I think it's ninety nine countries. Think about that. Wow. Um, so I had an opportunity to travel with them to to go to the third world country, and you know do sort of you know sort of like an immersion not only in what they do like in helping villages and helping with education and poverty and water and disease and all those things, but then also get to get immersed in just the the whole idea of immigration and like you know why to why do immigrants travel to other countries like like mm-hmm. this this king right he's traveling to work and when you learn a lot about you know people who migrate to wealthier countries is not that they want to leave their country and family like this guy didn't want to leave his village and like you know go to Canada maybe he, like he probably wants to stay where his home is but he went for a reason and what you learn is like a lot of people who migrate to wealthier countries is for work right like mm-hmm. economics and the reality is a lot of what they make when they get to another country, they just send back. Mm-hmm. They just send back to their home, to their village, and they live off of very little wherever it is here or Canada or somewhere else. And they send the majority of their money back to their families. Yeah. It, it It is like, um, it is impressive. You know, people who make those types of sacrifices to do those things. Yeah. I mean, like in this case, his, his main two issues is, uh, Healthcare and education right. that he wants to bring to his village. And I mean, it just reminds me, like you're saying, that that I guess in America and in, in the way we live, we think everything's so big, right? America's huge. And even at the state we live in, Louisiana's huge. And even the city we might live in, you know, like we live around Lafayette, Louisiana, which is not the biggest city in the country, but it's it's big. It's big enough. But this, this man's world is 6,000 people. Hmm. I live in a town that's 6,000 people. And he's making a huge sacrifice for his people to, to better their life, to give them better health care and better education. Why can't I do that? Right. You know, those kinds of things. It's very challenging to me. Yeah, and this isn't, you know, this isn't like a new thing. And like, this is why we're, we're called in, a, in, in the Christian world to, to love everyone and to help support everyone and to believe in goodness. I mean, I know there's a lot of, you know, other things and you know, around all that, but... Uh, you know, I was reading about St. Padre Pio, and when he was a kid, he had health issues. They didn't know if he was going to live, uh, and they wanted to educate. His dad wanted to, you know, give him a good education. Actually, did you know that St. Padre Pio's dad immigrated to the United States? I didn't know to, that. To work. Huh. He came to the U.S. to work. Like, this is way back, like, in, you know, what, late 1800s? Mm-hmm to work in the United States to send money back home so that St. Padre Pio could have health care, you know, for like some of his childhood sickness and education. Wow. How crazy is that? Just like this king. Just like this king. You know, so there's yeah. virtue in, in like doing the hard things and providing for people and your family and, you know, like – He's taking it into his own hands in a sense of like, hey, I'm not just going to sit back and hope that someone just shows up at our village one day and like gives us money. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's inspiring because, I mean, we are all kings of something. I mean, God's given us something to rule, and it could be our, our little home mm-hmm. or um, our friend group in the sense that we have an influence on things. Like we can actually determine outcomes of things. And so often we just 
give up on problems or just complain rather than how can I actually solve this situation? I mean, like Padre Pio's dad, if he wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't have Padre Pio. I mean, in the sense of um, God uses that authority he's given all of us to influence things, to bring about his will, to build his kingdom. Yeah. No, I mean, John Paul II's dad was um, a widower, you know, when, when John Paul II's mom died at an early age. And because of war in Poland, they had to immigrate to another country for safety. And his dad got a job there to support the two of them, mm-hmm. right? Until they could move back to their hometown in Poland. You know, so like you see this even in the lives of like the saints, like over the centuries of of like, you know, someone who, you know, you, you talk about kingship, well, through our baptism, we're, we're baptized priest, prophet, and king, right? Mm-hmm. We're in, in Christ, we become, you know, the priest, the prophet, and the king. We, 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 we become royalty, right, in, in our faith through our divine filiation in relationship with Christ. We're in the family of God. So in our kingship, all of us through baptism um, are given the authority to be over our families and, you know, a, a domain, not, not to rule over, but to lead right. with Christ, Right. Yeah, and, and that's the, to me, one of the most humbling things about our God is that he lets his grace, which is his greatest gift to give us. Like, there's nothing greater he can give us than grace because it's his very life in us. I mean, it's God's union with us. The greatest thing God wants to give us, he gives us through the influence of others, like other human beings that are just broken like mm-hmm. we are. Um, like, for example, if you wouldn't do what God's asking you to do, Paul, and impact people the way you have... Um, there would be less holiness in the world. Like there's less grace in the world. His grace active in the world is in a certain sense dependent on our cooperation with him. Right. That's crazy. I mean, what a humble thing that God would do that. Right. Um, to entrust such an amazing, important mission to save the world through grace to broken sinners like you and me. But if we don't exercise that kingship, if we don't do it, there's no plan B. Right. Right? Like just things don't happen. Right. But when we do exercise it, that actually moves the world. Yeah, and Jesus was a servant king. Like, he was a king who served others. I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give mm-hmm. my life as a ransom for many. Like, a true king is one who serves his people. This young man is serving, is a, is a servant king, right? He's, he's serving yeah. his people. And I'm sure there's been times in your life, and particularly since you've been married and become a father, right? And now that, you, you know, you have family that you oversee, is you've done work that you've not wanted to do. There's, oh, yeah. There's been days where you've woken up and not wanted to go to work. You know, there's been moments where you're doing a job for the sake of, like, putting food on the table, right? Mm-hmm. And to be able to go to the grocery store. And, like, you know what that's like. Mm-hmm. And then you didn't always want to do that. There's been times in my life where I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go to work today. Or, man, I'm doing a job I really do not want to do mm-hmm. today uh, to provide for my family. I'm, I'm taking a trip I, I, I don't want to take to leave my home, my land, and go somewhere else to do work so that our family can keep going, right? Like, kingship is hard. Servant kingship is hard. And sometimes we have to do really hard things that we don't like to do uh, or want to do, but but because it's the right thing and the virtuous thing and the good thing to do. Mm. But it requires that humility that he was talking about. Um, King, I didn't even say his name, but I know his name. Can you pronounce it? It's King Eric Manu. Manu. So he's got a name, Eric, but Manu. Uh, 
King Eric Mano, who's not Christian, but and I think that speaks to grace building on nature. Our vocation that we receive from baptism is built upon our vocation given to us in our nature, that God created us in his image. I mean, he is a king. He right. does rule everything. And he created us in an image and likeness. Um, and so if we are going to be a true image of that king, of that father that created us, like Eric Manu here, um, it is that servant kingship. Right. Because that's not only when we're the best Christian, that's when we're the best human. Right. It's when we get arrogant and prideful and try to rule the roost and tell everybody what to do, we, we don't just become jerks or... or sacrifice our Christian leadership, we sacrifice our humanity. I mean, human beings, this, this is war, like, throughout the centuries. This is when that kingship is misused, destroys lives. Hmm. And sometimes that war is very local, like in homes, with emotional and verbal abuse or physical abuse or, or just people not being able to communicate because they all want their own way. They, none, nobody wants to be humble. When we abuse our kingship, we literally destroy people's lives. We destroy humanity. But when we exercise it, like Eric, we literally build civilization. I mean, this guy's village, I'd love to check in in five years and see how they're doing. Right. But I'm sure it's going to be better. Yeah. Just because he's made that sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is what happened in St. Thomas More's life. You know, like the king was a ruler and ruled with, you know, not servanthood. Right. Mm -hmm. And took St. Thomas More's life just because he was doing the right thing and following his faith. And so the king just executed him, like just killed him, you mm -hmm. know, left his, you know, you know, left his, his wife without a husband and his, and his kids without a father just because, right? Like his, his kingship was not that of just serving the people and loving the people, but that's what we're called to. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Healthcare that works better and costs less? Seems like an oxymoron, right? Take a minute and check out our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Members say that faith-based health sharing is a much better fit than insurance, all while costing less. Prices start at $384 a month for families. Call now to see how much you can save. 844-387-8533. That's 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in. Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk here with you today. And uh, yeah, I mean, lots going on. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, your kingship is growing. Your kingdomhood, your your reign. Yeah. What, what? I don't. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, my king. Yeah, we have a um, a little boy due in December. Right. Which will make uh, five boys and four girls hmm. living in the house. Wow. Plus the grown-ups, so I guess that's uh, 11 people. Nueve. In, in the kingdom. Nine. Yeah. Nueve. Nueve kiddos. Hmm. Yeah, so it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, talk about feeding. Oh, gosh, yes. Feeding the masses, the 5,000. Might have to do some landscaping. <laughs> to do a ser sermon on the mount and, like, multiply the loaves and the fishes. That would be nice. You know? That would be nice. Maybe your kids can work at the local grocery store and get some discounts. That's a good goal. That's a good goal. I mentioned that to my son recently. You know, like th that's a good good job to have. That's a funny connection you're making because we're talking about kingship and everything. And, and when our Lord multiplied the bread like that, they wanted to make him king and he fussed them. 
You fuss them, you know? Like, yeah. Don't, don't just seek a king because I can give you bread. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Like, the, like that's, not, that's not what we're about. Yeah. Bread yeah. that lasts forever. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting as well as uh, we celebrate this week uh, a U.S.-born saint. What? By the way, there's not many... There's not many no. saints. There's more saints that were in the U.S. who became saints. Like they migrated here and became, you know, did missionary work here. Mm. But there's a shorter list of saints who were born in the native land of the U.S. who became saints, mm-hmm. right? Who yeah. Were, you know, and obviously, like we're our, our history as a nation is, you know, 250 whatever. I don't know how many exact years, but you know mm. what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's not, you know, as extensive and long. But anyway, we celebrate this week a cool saint, St. Kateri Takawitha. Good job. Got her name. Which is Catherine, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's not, that wasn't her, that wasn't her real name. She changed her name at baptism. Like, she was baptized. Jesuit missionaries went to her village. They call them the Black Robes. Mm. And uh, the people in the village, they had an agreement with the French to like uh, basically a peace treaty, and so they, they they agreed not to kill the Jesuits. You know mm-hmm. that that's a nice thing. That is a nice thing because that wasn't always the case. However, they weren't Christians. The villages and the king of the village, the you know the the chief who was considered the king of the village mm-hmm. of the Native American tribe, did not like him and was not Christian. She got baptized though, however, and then sort of pushed out of the community. They couldn't kill her because of the peace treaty. And then eventually she escaped the village and found a Christian community um, and and really just went on a path. She was almost like a religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she was a consecrated, was consecrated virgin type. Yeah. Virgin type. Uh, you know, she never entered into a religious community because she didn't really know about them you right. know, uh, until later in life. But anyway, she was an extremely holy woman mm-hmm. who, I mean, how crazy is this? Like, Went from, like, obviously not a family who baptized her, didn't know, you know, God or Jesus or the faith. And missionaries brought the faith, and she was baptized, uh, like, at 18 or, you know, 16, whatever, and then just grew in in knowledge of God from there. I mean, just, like, if you just want to know, like, how, how the charisma, the gospel evangelization works, just that story. And now she's a saint. Yeah. When she grew so intensely, she died at a young age, 24, which is that um, almost blessed age. I mean, there are many saints that died at 24, St. Therese, St. Right. Terry, et cetera. But, uh, but she had to use her time well because she had so little of it. And so her conversion led to a deeper, a deepening of that conversion through intense prayer um, and love of God and neighbor and evangelization. And uh, that always challenges me because I've had more, way more years than she has, you know, and and more years as a Catholic specifically. I've been Catholic since I, you know, was right. less than one years old. Right. What am I doing? Right. Like, yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> what am I you are doing? Wasting your I'm life. Way behind. You are way. And behind. I have so many more resources <laughs> than Kateri Tech. Well, I'm older than you. I've wasted a lot yeah, of but time. You've been doing some stuff though. Yeah. You've been, you've been at it. Well. I don't know, but you know, I often think of the saints, you know, and, and think, man, I'm, I don't think I'm even close. And, yeah. and, and writing this recent book, it kind of made me realize that, like, I'm not even close. However, here's what I did realize through the intercession of the saints is that we shouldn't look at the saints and say, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Because if we, if we looked at the saints, we would say that I can't do that. 
right? Because like today, like it's, you know, we, we have to look at the saints as, as a model for how to live, you know, like as a, as a influence in our life, mm-hmm. as a, as a, you can do this, but you're not going to be where you want to be, you know, today, mm-hmm. right? Like the saints never like, we're like, I'm there. I've arrived. Right. You know, uh, you can canonize me now. Right. Like no one was canonized a saint before they died. And they probably all died thinking I didn't reach where I wanted to reach. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Kateri at 24 was probably thinking I got so much growing to do. Mm-hmm. I got so much more to learn. I got so much more impact to make on the world. And yet God, God you know, had a different timeline for her. And yet here we're talking about her today, a Native American girl who no one knew mm-hmm. wasn't raised in a Catholic home. And, and then she, she's a canonized saint because of how she lived her life. She said this, which I thought this quote would sum up her life. She said, I have given my, myself to Jesus. He must be my only love. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Very simple. Well, yeah, what you're saying reminds me, if I could use an analogy, I like analogies. You, you played baseball, mm-hmm. played a good bit of baseball. What you're describing is if we look at the Saints and we just say, I'll never do that. It's kind of like watching a major league game mm-hmm. and saying, I'll never be that good, so I'm not going to play baseball. Right. Now, the vast majority, vast, of serious baseball players don't make it to the major leagues. Right. Right? We all get that. Just like the vast majority of Christians are not going to be canonized Saints. But the goal of baseball is not to make it to the major leagues. The goal of baseball is to love the game. Right. And those that love the game so much, the ones that are happy as Major League Baseball players are ones that both love the game and are great at it. Right. Right? But it's the love of the game that if you lose it, even in the in the Major Leagues, if you lose that, you've lost baseball. Right. right? Even if you're making tons of money, you're not succeeding at baseball. And it's that love of God and of Christ and of the life of being a Christian that can be experienced even in the peewee version of baseball. You know, like... You've seen this. When kids play baseball, they love it, right? And the love that they experience, well, not all of them love it, but the ones that love it, right. the love they experience for the game is comparable to the love that you see the major leagues, right? Right. It's just like that with our Christian walk. We can love God. Charity can be great in us. Even if we're not called to be canonized saints, we can match their love for Jesus Christ by seeking to match it, right? Mm-hmm. By learning from them. So what she just said is... The simple path that she found to holiness, and she didn't have the awareness of all these great saints like you and I have in the sense of, you know, like we've, because of the information we have available to us, we know about major league players in the church for 2,000 years very well. Right. She didn't, but she discovered the love of the game. She discovered the love of Christ in a real way, and she lived it in her small, real way in, within her, the people that she lived in. Right. You got to love the grind. Of sport, like you know, if you don't love the grind, the everyday grind of you know whatever baseball or whatever mm-hmm. you know sp- the sport analogy, then you just quit. You're like, man, that's just not fun. Like I'm not enjoying it, you know. And you're right. Like people who keep playing just love it. They just love it. And if they're not in the major leagues, they're playing in a softball league, right? As an right. adult, right? Or or there's there's some way involved in, in still in the game. And I think in the Christian walk is like we have to learn to even love the grind. Yeah, you know, just the 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 everyday moments where it's difficult, easy, fun, not fun, all those things where we find God in the ordinary and the everyday. Uh, I mean, there was no social media or internet for Saint Kateri. Like, no one knew mm-hmm. about her. She like, couldn't live. We're yeah. we're speaking about her today, but.
but she lived very simple, everyday, normal life in a, in a time where like you relied heavily on just finding your food that day. Like, mm. you know, like living, you know, in villages and I, I you know, it, it, you know, I'm sure she would have never thought people would be talking about her at all. It's true. You know, but she, she loved Jesus every day like that. She loved the grind of it. And that is the Christian life. Yeah. Like it is, you know, to go back to the braces analogy at the beginning of the show, it's like, it is like the long haul. It's the long road. It's, it's, it's the long goal. It's, you know, putting on the braces and letting God correct our life. And it's not always easy. Sometimes your, your, your jaw and mouth are shifting. Sometimes you don't notice it, but like, that's, it's just loving the grind of it. And yeah. we love Jesus that much. Like we just push through. This is why I'm writing the book, Holy Grit, this idea of grit has got to be integrated in our life of faith because without it, we just quit. Yeah. And what did our Lord say? He said, take my yoke upon, take my yoke upon you because my burden is easy. My yoke is light. And, um, he also said, take up your cross daily and follow me. So this, this idea that the daily yoking to Christ, the daily following of him and wherever it is, that is Christianity. Right. It's, it's waking up, hearing his voice and following it throughout your day and whatever your day looks like, if it's converting Indians or being converted, like whatever that day God calls you to, that is the life of Christianity. And every one of us could live that day today like a saint. Right. There's literally nothing stopping us. It, we don't have to grow in this way or that way or get this degree or have this profound insight or anything. Um, this St. Thomas Aquinas said, what, what does it take to be a saint? You just will it. Hmm. Because it's the same Jesus who's calling me that called St. Kateri and calls you. And he's in my life right now calling me to follow him, to take that yoke, his yoke upon me. And I can either give a generous yes or a half yes or a no. Hmm. And that's it. That's right. the life. And Kateri said, well, look, if I'm going to, if he's calling me, I'm going to say yes completely. And that's it. That's all I'm doing. Right. And she became a saint that way. Yeah. You know, it's interesting this week and the readings, like you mentioned, you know, the reading from Matthew that was this week, come to, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, this is Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I will give you rest, right? Uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourself. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? And then in this Sunday's gospel reading, Jesus, it, it's the the story of Mary and Martha who are with Jesus, right? And um, uh, Martha, burdened with such much serving, came to him and said, Lord, uh, do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving, right? We know the story. Tell her to, to help me. The Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There's only... There's only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. What's the better part? The Jesus, like, that's the moment, right? Mm. He speaks in both of those about burden and anxiousness and worry. And, like, when we live in the, in the anxiousness and worry, and that's our focus, right? Because we all experience that. We all experience stress and anxiety and worry. When that's our focus, we just get lost in it. And what he's saying is like, like, let the focus be me. I can carry the burden for you. You know, I can, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You know, let me take on all of, of your worry and just focus on me. Right. Mm. That's what, that's what we're called to do. Like, like that's it. I know, I know it sounds simple, but it's very hard, but yet it's very simple. 
Yeah, and that's that's the tragedy of it. A lot of us are not giving our generous yes to the yoke of Christ because we are anxious and worried about many things. Right, it can go one of two ways. Like either our worry and our anxiousness can make us f- focus on that and not on Jesus, or our worry and anxiousness can actually draw us to Jesus. Lord, take my right. burden, take my worry. Like, th- and that's what He's saying. Is like, no, like, don't draw away from me. Draw towards me and and give me all those things let me carry it because my grace is sufficient it's 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 enough for you like i can i can do it like that's why i came you know to seek and save the lost i came to take your burdens and worry you know but focus on me and this is what saint kateri is like i I love only jesus like that's that's my goal like i'm sure she experienced anxiety and worry i mean we were talking about kingship she escaped a tribe of a chief who was more of a dictator than a servant. And she left, you know, in fear of her life. I'm sure she dealt with a lot of anxiousness and worry with that. Yeah, and heavy burdens. I mean, she was... So before she was born, um, and I forget the time frame, but it's very close. St. Isaac Jogues was martyred. Another Jesuit Mm -hmm. who was a missionary was martyred within, I forget the miles, 10 miles, something like that of her hometown. Um, But... Within a year or two, like very close. So her, the grace of her life was certainly supplied by the martyrdom of St. Isaac Jogues in the sense of it's, it's, it was like a bomb that went off of grace mm. and impacted her, you know. Um, but she was a sickly girl. She had, her parents died when she was young. A sickness that impacted the whole family. She survived, but she was kind of scarred by it. I don't know what sickness it was, but it was pretty bad. Apparently killed her parents. Um, but it's, it stayed with her her whole life. She was a sickly person. So, I mean, she suffered a lot. She was burdened a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think when she heard the gospel that you could give all these burdens and all this suffering to Christ, she did. And she found that rest that Jesus said you would find. She found that rest in Christ. But it's not like she never suffered again. She became ill again and died when she was 24, but died at rest. And like what you're saying, it's not not that Jesus comes to take away all of our problems and our, our burdens, but he does make it lighter because these burdens and the suffering become salvific and become, it saves us and it becomes out of love, which always makes everything lighter. I mean, you know this, we're talking about hard work earlier for your family and how difficult it can be. What makes it lighter is when we do it out of love, right? Love for my children, love for my village, love for my whatever. It makes these things light. That's the promise of Jesus, that right. the, the suffering of this life, the burdens of this life become as light as possible. Not that they're taken away, but they're done out of love and they're done for eternal value. So yeah. it's beautiful. Well, I mean, it, it kind of draws you in. It, look, I, I can probably speak for everyone in a sense of like, at some level, we all experience worry, fear, stress, anxiety, you know, and then it can, it can go even further into depression and all these, you know, so it, like none of us are void of like the life, like, you know, the ups and downs of life, right? I I have found, at least for me and from talking to other people, you know, there's a, there's a lot of symptoms to help with that, right? I mean, <clears throat> good rest. You know, I find when I don't sleep and take care of myself, like I'm a lot more anxious, honestly. That's just very practical. You know, if I don't, if I don't take care of my body and, you know, Good exercise releases, you know, endorphins and helps with your stress. You know, taking care of your body, eating right, 
not over drinking consumption of like, you know, just alcohol and tobacco too much. Like all those things can affect your moods and your, your swings. And, and yet there, a lot of them are crutches for our anxiety so that we can over consume those things or not sleep overeat, like do all the things that are wrong. But like, if we line, but here's the thing, here's what I'm getting at. Like the, the main factor that, that I think trumps that and just would be like, Hey, here's the number one thing first. And then like, let all those other things kind of flow from there is a robust spiritual life of prayer in a sense of like that, that should be like the, the, the thing that's the, the non-negotiator is, is that solitude and quiet and, and contemplating on the Lord, his face, the scriptures, his word, uh, and, and letting your stress level just slow down your mind, your heart rate, everything in prayer and, and allowing the Lord to speak to you of saying, I, I got you today. Like, I'm with you today. I'm going to walk with you today. Without that, without those words, without that comfort, uh, like, we're, dude, I don't know how people do it. <laughs> and this is what I'm saying. Like, like this is, that is like the main thing. And, and for a lot of us, even for like practicing Christians, it's like almost the first thing to go. Yeah, it's true. Well, and I think that's the lesson of the gospel with Martha and Mary, which Martha got, by the way, she's Saint Martha, so she she understood what or she learned what Jesus was teaching her about what the one thing necessary is. She she got the lesson. Yeah. But there's a difference between seeing Christ as a guest in my life, a guest in my home, and as the Lord of my life, hmm. the Lord of my home. Hmm. And this is what you're talking about, good Christians. Like this is something we forget pretty quick because. What, what Mary realized was that even though Jesus was visiting the home, he was also the Lord of it. And so whatever needed to happen in the home, Jesus directs it. Hmm. He's in charge of it. It's his kitchen. It's his dining room. It's his living room, right? It's not Martha's. It's not Mary's. It's, it's his. his time. It's his time. And so Mary took her marching orders from Jesus. Hmm. Martha... Being hospitable, which makes sense, was that she was going to welcome Jesus into her home, her home. That's the big key there, is that our life is not ours. And like St. Paul teaches us, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me who live, but Christ who lives in me. What saints understand is how to do that completely. Yeah. To where every day when I wake up, I ask the Lord of my life, what am I going to do today? How ought to be done? How might I serve and please you? And let him speak to that. Versus me just saying, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a family man, I'm a husband, I'm a whatever. So that this is what my day is like. I will do a good day, but I have to go to the Lord of my life every morning and let him direct my day. Absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, yes, that, that is it without a doubt. Okay. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Paying too much for healthcare and supporting services you don't believe in? Our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare, has prices that are 60% less than the nation's average cost of healthcare. Join the nation's leading healthcare sharing ministry built by people of faith for people of faith, saving money through ethical and affordable healthcare. Call now to see how much you can save at 844-387-8533. That's Solidarity HealthShare, 
Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks again for listening. And you can find the show on the podcast. Go to paulgeorge.la. It's on Spotify, iTunes, um, SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Google Podcasts. I, I guess. Yeah. It's that. Who do you think is the most well-known person who's listened to us? I know of a couple that are pretty well-known. Really? I won't say them on, on air. Yeah, we can't. They'll be mad. Yeah. But I don't know. Is it, well, you asked the question, I can't answer it, because you're like, we can't say it on air. But Do you have somebody in mind? Yeah, I have somebody in mind. Okay. But it's pretty awesome. Yeah. But we, we, we've been doing this show for a while. I, was just, I don't know. I was just thinking about uh, Kateri and like, it's amazing the little thing like a podcast, because this really is a little thing in the sense of um, we're not like organizing a mission to Haiti. Right. right, we're coming into a room once a week and doing our best to spread the gospel. Sure. But it's amazing what God does with that little thing. I mean, the stories we hear, the people we encounter. Um, yeah, it's amazing what God can do. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just being faithful to it, like whether or not you know we know the impact or whatever. And, and that's the whole idea of like our, our journey as a Christian and sainthood is to not focus on, you know. Am I being a saint? Just let your life be lived for God. And at the end of your life, it'll speak for itself, mm-hmm. right? Like for me to like even say I'm on the road for sainthood is like crazy. Like the, like <laughs> it should just be like, let me just live for God the best way I can. And then when my life's over, it, it'll speak for itself and people will get to decide what it spoke of. Yeah, to use the baseball analogy from earlier, the draft for the major leagues is after death. None of us are in the major leagues in this life, right? Like, right. we get drafted, canonized after we're dead, you know? Right. And so um, that's when the, the sheep are separated from the goats, so to speak. Yeah. No, that's that's very true. Okay, so we didn't get to it last segment, but uh, do you have a word Catholic stuff? What? Yep. Paul, oh, is that is that real? Yeah, absolutely. Why are Catholics so weird? I have no idea. That's weird stuff. Okay. It is. Weird Catholic stuff. This one's a doozy. <laughs> I cannot wait. I didn't know this at all. Have you ever heard of the seven sleepers in the cave of Ephesus? I've heard of the seven dwarfs in a cave. Maybe this is the... Uh, the foundation for that story. I don't know. Okay. But this is nuts. You know where Ephesus is? Yes. Um, well, apparently during the reign of the emperor Decius, which was an early uh, emperor that persecuted Christians in so Rome. So it's the seven what? The seven sleepers. Okay. Of the cave in Ephesus. All right. This is nuts. Well, okay. These seven people of most of the names we can't pronounce, they're Greek names, but one of them is like Stephanus. So okay. Like Stephen. Um, they were prominent members of Emperor Decius's palace. Okay, so these are Romans. These are okay, and even still, they weren't they weren't into idolatry, like because this was true. I mean, don't think everybody was into the the Roman Greek myths at the time. Like just like today, a lot of people are baptized Catholics, maybe not quite into it. Right, right. So they weren't like super enthusiastic idol worshippers. Okay, so when Christianity came along, it seemed much more plausible to them. Like right. they were easily converted okay, okay? um They're like oh this makes sense and they took uh christian names okay well decius was not happy with it so he ordered them uh, to sacrifice to the gods they refused so that he exiled them to this cave hmm. without food or water and no one was to bring it in and they uh they died right and the cave is closed 
That's not the weird part. Okay, that's just the setup right there. They just got exiled to a cave and they closed the door. They put a rock in front right, of it. Right, it became like the tomb, right? Okay. Um, okay, so time passes. Decius dies. Um, they're still in that cave, like the bodies. Okay. And Are they the first incorruptibles? Well, two centuries later. You're not going to believe this. Two this centuries. Crazy. Two centuries later, a new emperor, Theodosius, rose to power. Um, Christian Empire by this point. And he's like, whatever happened to those guys in the cave? Well, they, <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. Was he like reading a document? He's like, hey, somebody put somebody in a cave. <laughs> well, Theodosius was a Christian, but the, you remember the Arian heresy was a yeah. thing. So okay. Theodosius was confused by the Arian heresy, and he was he was praying to God for guidance about this, and he prayed for some sign about the truth you know, what is, what is the truth? Okay. And some shepherds, and this is near where the emperor would have been. Some shepherds discovered this cave. All right. Okay. They open the cave, and these seven men resurrected. What? Life breathed back into them. And they thought that they were merely asleep for a day. Two centuries later. Two centuries later. Hmm. <laughs> so there's no... We don't know if this is like... Hard truth or myth, they're facts. Is it uh, is it is it backed by the church? I mean, is it like some of the apparitions that have yet to been. There's a lot like, of there's a lot of details to this story. Usually, when things are kind of legendary, like let's say Saint George who fought the dragon, right. and we're like, was there an actual dragon? Yeah, like yeah, there was an actual George, but you know, no actual was dragon. Was it a Komodo dragon? Right. Was it a, a salamander? Like right. A, a python. But this one has a lot of details. Like all of their names are listed. Okay. Not only their Christian names, they're pre-Christian names. Okay. The cave is listed. So, like, here's where it is. So you can still visit it. You can still visit it. And so were they alive for, like, a day and then died again? Like, no, what? they were alive for the, like, lived a natural life the rest of their life. What? <laughs> so, so basically, like, the first time travel? Kind of. Like, 200 years? Kind of. Is and, that what you uh, said? Yeah. Well, okay, so when Theodosius, 200 years. So when Theodosius discovered it, now... For them, it had been like a day had passed. So sure. they're explaining what happened. Better and Theodosius is listening to this, and he fell to the ground in thanksgiving to God for answering his prayer. Um, okay. He well, embraced the, the sleepers. There's your sign. And did him homage. Exactly. He said, I see your faces as if I saw my Lord Jesus Christ when he called Lazarus from the tomb. So he knew the, the connection. Um, and then those seven men were not Arians. Right. So you see what God did there? These, these Christians... Roman Christians who were martyrs, yeah, pre-Arian, right, slept through Arian controversies and then told Theodosius what the true faith was, right. Isn't that wild? Yeah, I guess I always go back to this question: is you got to ask the question, can God do that? So if you say that God can't do that, then you're saying like, well, then He's not God, okay? Right. Like, is it possible for God to do a miracle like that? So then you you got to say, well, if God, if God is God, then it is possible for God to do something like that. Then then you go, well, well, did did He do that? You know, like so. So the whole first half of the miracle is capable because we know that God can do anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then did He? Well, then the, there's proof of all that. This is a lot of the conversation I get with people who don't understand the Eucharist, and I say, I, I basically say this. Okay. Um, do, do you believe that God can 
change bread into his presence. Because if you're saying he can't, then you're saying that he's not God. Right. Okay. So can he or can't he? Well, they're like, well, yeah, God can. Okay, so you're saying God can change bread into his presence. Yeah, he, he can because he's God. Okay. And this is usually folks who aren't, you know, they don't believe in the Eucharist, so they're, they're not Catholic. Okay, if he can, then you say, well, then does he? And why wouldn't he? You know, so then you look at scriptures, like, well, like everything points to the fact that not only can he, but then he does, right? Mm. And, you know, it's like with miracles, like, can God do that? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, God can do anything. Yeah. And he does. He does a lot of mighty deeds, even today, you know, like we were talking about Blessed Carlo. All right. Recently. So, like, if you died in a cave right now <laughs> and could go either forwards or backwards 200 years, what would you choose? Oh my, I would say forward, forward. You would I had to think about it. Okay, imagine waking up in two hundred years. <laughs> like what you would be like, lo- your iPhone would be so like it wouldn't even work. <laughs> what is that? An iPhone negative six? Like, yeah. What is that? Yeah. None of the technology. <laughs> oh, there's no phones anymore. We're just all linked together. Of course, we thought that two hundred years ago that like everything would be so crazy. But I had to think for a second because I think I would personally prefer 200 years ago. Maybe not, though. I don't know how I would do in the Wild West. I don't know if I'd make it, to be honest. But to go forward 200 years and kind of look up my family, like what happened to my kids, my grandkids, Hmm. those grandkids, that would be neat. Then I could find them and say, hey, versus like finding family back in the day and try to convince them. Now, all your kids would be dead, which is weird to think, right? Like 200 years. But then their kids' kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Would be alive. Yeah. And I would find your kids, 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 and I'd be like, hey, hey, I knew your great, great, great granddaddy. <laughs> he was something else. Yeah. Let me tell you about him. He wore braces. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you should have seen his grill. Yeah. Yeah, that would be crazy. I don't know. Like, I think I would go back 200 years. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, I would love the Wild West. Well, you probably could make a lot of money because you could have a lot of ideas that you know will work. Yeah. Like, I know computers are going to be a thing. So if I just figure it out. <laughs> just be the innovator. Yeah. Be like, hmm, I have some ideas, guys. And people will tell you this is not going to work. And you're like, no, trust me. Trust me. <laughs> it's going to work. This, this, is, this will catch on. Here's a tire. It's yeah. round. It rolls. It's a thing called rubber. Yeah. People are going to love this stuff. Yes. <laughs> but true. I think I would, I would have been very content on horseback. Yeah, that's true. The thing that I wouldn't have liked is that you were always probably, you know, wandering for the safety of yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be disease because of lack of medicine or like the the fighting, you know, mm-hmm. and killing, you know, with like different tribes and, you know, whatnot. Like it wasn't as, you know, obviously safe, but whatever. Yeah. But people made it. So you, you would have found a way. I think you would retreat. To semi-rural life. Yeah. Semi-rural. Now, I do want to go to the Holy Land and to Greece and all that. So I would like to go to Ephesus. And I'd like to go to that cave to see, you know, like, if they have, like, a... Well, I think what you'll discover there, according to this article, is that there is a little controversy as to which cave, but not much controversy. So you'll you'll be able to visit the two or three they think it is. Okay. But there's no controversy on the fact that it happened. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Well, here's the thing that's interesting about saints. We talked about this, is that 
you know, with the intercession of saints, what like what gets them really kind of pushed to sainthood and canonization is there's miracles in their name and in their intercession. Mm-hmm. And miracles still happen. Mir- yep. I mean, miracle happens at every mass, but miracles happen every day in in healing, physical, mental, you know, emotional healing. Like you yeah. know, like like God's still moving, and you find that there's more. Uh, you hear more about miracles in areas where people have a lot of faith. Yeah, that's true. You know, like they're just like, yeah, like we don't have anything else in our tribe but Jesus. And we're going to pray for, you know, healing or rain or for this person to walk. And it's just like, yep, miracles are happening right there. Mm-hmm. And where you find strong faith, you know, and people who are living through diversity usually have a lot of strong faith. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what our Lord said, right? The um, the gospel writer says he, our Lord didn't perform many miracles there. Actually said he couldn't. Couldn't. Because of their lack of faith. So couldn't. definitely a correlation, not which is he, crazy. Not that he wouldn't. Couldn't. He couldn't. Mm. Yeah, I'm I mean, not doing it because I can't. Right. Like your faith, your lack of faith blocks grace from moving, mm-hmm. right? Like you were saying, like, you know, by nature and, and grace work together, but like, your, your openness to grace God, even if you don't know God, your openness allows grace to move. Mm. But the more and more you lean into God, the more and more grace that is available and flows. That's where faith, faith is the opportunity for God to move. So, you know, what Jesus is saying is like, yeah, I mean, he could He can move those people out of the way and perform a miracle. But what he's saying is like, your lack of faith, I can't. Like, it blocks grace from moving. Mm. Yeah, because, I mean, most miracles are an answered prayer. Like, Theodosius praying and then seven people coming to life after 200 years. And who knows, like, the the prayer, the the faith that he prayed with. Right. Like, it was obviously huge. Right. Yeah. And that's definitely my story. When I've needed something from God, some kind of answer, direction, or, like, he's always answered that prayer. I mean, he's never abandoned me. Right. Like, I've never... I mean, I've had to wait sometimes for him to answer, but I can't think of one time I ever didn't get what I needed from him when I asked in faith. Right. Yeah. Now, I know that's not everybody's story, especially when your spouse is dying and you're asking for healing and then they end up dying or if your kid is dying or if you're um, whatever. But he does answer that prayer eventually because we're we're all in that tomb and we are all coming out. You know, seven sleepers remind us. Well, here's the deal, man. At the end of the world, like, we're all coming off out of the cave. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all rising from the dead. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's right. I mean, that's going to be weird. I can't wait to see that. Not really. <laughs> that's going to be strange. That is the, that's probably one of the weirdest Catholic claims. I mean, not everyone claims this. Even Christians, we have different views of what, what's going to happen at the end and what the resurrection is. Right. I mean, the strangest thing is that we claim God's going to literally raise every body from the dead like these seven sleepers are just going to come it's a mystery and you know when we're like well how is that going to happen i mean i guess it's not really our place to answer how just like how Mm -hmm. did god raise these guys over 200 years later it's crazy you know like we don't know how but like that that's the issue is like when we start asking how we we block faith Mm -hmm. you know because you know then we start thinking well that's impossible well, nothing's impossible for God. That's what Scripture says. So, And he's proven that with the incorrupt saints, that he can preserve bodies. He can do things with bodies. He can do whatever he wants. That's right. And he's proven it. Yeah. 
So anyway, all right, great show, man. Thanks, Deacon Adam, everyone, for listening today. Thank you, uh, Paul. Feel free to f- find the show <laughs> on the podcast and uh, share it. And we super appreciate you being a part of it. And we'll talk to you next week.